We're going to be reading out of Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5. They're going to put it up on the screens. Are you guys there? All right, cool. Matthew chapter 5, and it reads like this. It says, Now when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him, and he began to teach them. And this is what he said. He said, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. He said, Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. And blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. In verse 11, it says, Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil things against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven. For the same way, the, for the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Great verse. Uh, the, the, really, the three verses that we're going to focus on, I want to reread them one more time. And it says, Now when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and he sat down. His disciples came to him and began to teach them. He said, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. I want to read one more verse found in Matthew chapter 7, verse 28. It reads like this. When Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were amazed at his teaching because he taught with one who had authority, not as their teachers of the law. The name of this message is called Talk is Cheap. Look at your neighbor and say, Talk is Cheap. Oh, come on, a little bit more attitude. Say, Talk (laughs) is Cheap. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for your grace, your love, and your mercy, Lord. God, we ask that you would show us Jesus in the scriptures because we know if we see Jesus, we would never be the same again. So Father, I pray that we would not only be hearers of your word, but that we would be doers of your word. And it's in Jesus' name all of God's people said, amen. Amen. Hey, so uh, really random, we're we're getting uh, to know each other, right? Um, Do you guys know anyone uh, who who doesn't understand what social cues are? Yeah, like, okay, I'll explain to you what social cues are. Uh, Social cues are kind of like these unwritten rules in society. Uh, They're things that we would say that normal people um, kind of know and understand. I'll give you a really random one. For example, you don't take someone's last piece of gum, um, or, or you don't eat the last Krispy Kreme donut if you didn't buy the box. I'm trying to teach my sister that. Uh, I mean, we, there's these social cues that, that, uh, that we have in society, and I'll be honest with you, I, I'm pretty bad um, with social cues. Uh, here's another example. Have you ever been out to dinner in a public place, um, and you're trying to talk to somebody about something but secretive because there's people around? So what do you do? You kick them under the table. And what the person responds is, ow, why did you kick me? And it's obviously because I'm trying to tell you a secret. How about like if you ever tell somebody a secret? And the reason you're telling them a secret is obviously because you're in a public place as well. And you don't want anybody else to hear. So that person responds, bro, I can't hear you. Why are you whispering? It's because I'm trying to tell you something that not everyone is supposed to hear. You know what I love about our God is that God does not operate by our social cues. In fact, God has a completely different way of living. You see, God's society is completely different than ours. You see, we have structured a society in which we have decided to live, but the way that Jesus calls us to live is completely different. This is the tension that we find 
in our faith. The tension of sin and holiness. The tension of living in a way that we desire to live, but then the tension of Jesus telling us to live in a way that he has called us to live. He lives in what we call an upside-down kingdom, where things don't necessarily make sense to the normal person. For example, the Bible says that his ways are not our ways, and his thoughts are not our thoughts. In fact, his ways are higher than our ways, and his thoughts are higher than our thoughts. For example, he also says if you want to be first, well, you got to be last. He also says that if you want to be the greatest in the kingdom, you actually have to be the least in the kingdom. You see, the one who's great is the one who serves. This is my favorite. This is the one that got Jesus all of his disciples. He said, hey, uh, he who loses his life is the one who gains it. He, he is showing a completely different, to soci different society. And I love this passage because what Jesus is doing is that he's showing up. And what he's doing is that he's declaring his kingdom. In other words, what Jesus is saying is that I have decided to bring heaven down to earth. You see, a problem with a lot of us believers is that we try to live, we try to live this life from an earthly perspective. When we're supposed to live with the perspective of heaven to earth. You see, the society was already created. The way that Jesus has called us to live has already been established. And we are supposed to look to him in order to figure this out. So if Jesus is establishing a kingdom, I guess what this means is that Jesus must be king. And in the kingdom, what the king says goes. I love the example of the disciples because when th this was a group of young guys, scholars believe that they were probably in their teens. So when Jesus slept, they slept. And when Jesus ate, they ate. And when Jesus spoke, they spoke. And what Jesus did, they did. You see, Jesus is not only known as Savior, but he is also known as Lord. Maturation, is that even a word, maturation? All right, I guess it is. So maturing in Christ is, maturing in Christ is this, is not only living a life where we declare that Jesus is Messiah or Savior, but is also declaring a life where we say Jesus is Lord. You know, the Greek word for Lord is the word kurios. This was the word that was used in this, in, this, in this context. And what this word basically says is that Jesus is full of authority and power. When you label as someone as curious, what you're saying is that this person has all authority and power over my life. The Bible says that in order to be saved, we must declare that Jesus is Lord. So we must declare that Jesus has all power and authority over my life. So if we say that Jesus is Lord, but we're not living a life in submission to Christ, I wonder if we're really saved. I mean, it's not something that I'm saying, but it's something that the scripture says that we need to live out. Are we living a life that says that Jesus is Lord? So we have to ask ourselves a simple question. What does it look like to follow Jesus? I mean, have you ever asked yourself, what is this Christian faith? What is it supposed to look like? Right? Because in our, in our, Faith, what we believe is that our relationship with Jesus, right, it's not only just based upon a religion, but we believe that we have a relationship with the Lord. And relationship, at least healthy relationships, are always found on the principle of love. So a common question that we must always ask ourselves is, God, how can I show you that I love you? You know, there is a book by the, na by the name of the Five Love Languages. Has anybody ever heard of it? Yeah, yeah awesome book. It was written by the Dr. Gary 
Chapman, and there's a premise for this book. Basically, the premise for this book is that there's five ways that we express and five ways that we receive love. And here are the five love languages. The first one is quality time. These are the people that believe talk is cheap. I don't care about words. I just want to spend time with you. I don't understand these people. These people usually like cats. They're weird. These people are, are strange. Uh, there's also words of affirmation. I like words of affirmation. Words of affirmation is, man, you look good. Is that a new shirt? Have your legs gotten bigger? Have you been doing CrossFit? I like words of affirmation. It, it just makes me feel right. Then there's physical touch. Now, physical touch is for like these uh, people who like R. Kelly. Like my mind's telling me no, but my, okay, you know where I'm going with it, right? Yeah, uh, there's physical touch and then there's acts of service. So acts of service is usually what moms love. They like it when we cut the grass. They like it when we do the dishes. They like it when we take out the trash. They like it when we give the dog a bath. All those things, acts of service. So if a relationship with Jesus is founded upon love, I wonder what's God's love language. I wonder how we can make God feel loved. Because I think an issue that we always have is that we try to express God, we try to express to God that we love him in a language that really isn't even his. You know, Matthew, he answers this question in John, not Matthew, Jesus answers this question in John 14, 21, and this is what he says. He, give us, he gives us the answer. He says, whoever has my commands and keeps them is the one who loves me. The one who I say do something and they do it. That's the one who loved me. So what's God's love language? Obedience. You know, obedience isn't the most attractive word. It's not that sexy of a word. Can I say sexy? Okay. Yeah, I just did. Sorry. Yeah. So it's, 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 that, it's, it's, uh, it's not that attractive of a word. It makes me think about uh, my mom. Uh, here's something that you got to know about my mom. Boy, that's weird, right? Yeah. My mom... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> my mom's 5'2". My mom's 5'2". Whoa, where is this service going? My mom is 5'2", and I'm 6'2". And my mom speaks about three different languages. English, Spanish, tongues, and on occasion profanity, and this is one of those moments. Uh, it was a couple years ago, I was falling into the tendency of showing up home late. It was like a Tuesday night, and I get home, it's like 2.30 in the morning. I'm hanging out with my church buddies, doing like Jesus stuff. And uh, I, I pull up to the house, and the lights are off, and I think I'm safe. And I said, ooh, I'm going to make it tonight. So I open the door. I step in, and all of a sudden I hear, hey. I go, oh, gosh. I peed my pants a little bit. And my mom goes, she goes, who do you think you are? This isn't a hotel. You just like, come here and sleep whenever you want and not do the things that you're supposed to do and not spend time with your family. My mom's little. I'm tall. So she proceeds to smack me in the back of the head. Pop, and she goes, you're cutting the grass tomorrow, buddy, and you better not be home late. I said, Yes, ma'am. I uh, proceeded to my room and I cried myself to sleep. 24 years old. Two chest hairs. Say what? And shut up. Not funny. It, it's, it's a bit of a funny story, but I learned something pretty interesting. You know that just because I attend a home consistently, it doesn't necessarily mean that I'm a part of a home. You see, what makes me a part of my home is me responding to my mom's love with obedience. And here's the amazing thing about your obedience, right, is that God wants to use you to change the world. But God's not interested in extraordinary talent. He's actually interested in fearless obedience. So we got to reach a time in our life when we just stop coming to church, but we say, hey, I got to be the church. And the way that this works is when we say that we're going to be obedient to the word of God. It's the only way. You see, living a life of obedience will result in a life of freedom. 
We think of the word obedience and we think, oh, Jesus is just trying to tie me down, man. I, he just doesn't want me to have fun. But the truth is that obedience is, called, is really designed for you to fly and go to a, another level. You know, I gave my life to the Lord at 16, and every single Friday until now, I've been going to youth ministry. And uh, if you grew up in a Spanish Pentecostal, Spanish Pentecostal church like myself, uh, you've seen some pretty crazy, awesome, weird things. And there was a, and there was a, oh, she went to a Pentecostal church. Okay. So there was a Friday night. There was a Friday night. I mean, have you ever, if you grew up in church, have you ever been like begging your friend to come to church? And then finally they get there, and then the pastor starts talking about weird stuff, and you're like, dang, man, why did he come today? So you bring your friend... You, you bring your friend, and the pastor's like, all right, today we're talking about demons. It's like, oh, Lord, just swallow me. So I, I, I invite this friend. He, he, he comes over. He comes over to this group, and I swear this is what happens. There's a pastor. We have no idea where the pastor is. It was time for him to preach. All of a sudden, the back door is open. And then he runs in an auditorium with a kite. You say, you're a call to fly. You're a call to soar. I'm like, what in the world is happening here? It was the most embarrassing thing ever was ridiculous but he said something that was pretty cool he said he said you see the only reason this kite can fly is because it's attached to a string so if I pull it to the left it's going to go to the left and if I pull it to the right it's going to go to the right if I want it to go higher I'm going to let some string go and it's going to go higher if I want it to come lower it's going to come lower you see the string is what gives the kite the ability to fly the way it's called to fly and then he says this but he says if I cut the string the, fly, the kite may fly for a couple more seconds more, but what would happen is that eventually it will crash into a tree or it crash into a ground. You see, the reason that God has attached a certain standard of living to our lives is because he doesn't want to tie us up, but it's because he wants to free us up to fly to another level. You know, you know I, I, love, I love old school classic rock. I love old school classic rock. I think the song was made, Louis Glasser, maybe you can help me out. Uh, the song was made like 80s, early 90s. Have you ever heard the song called um, Love Lift Me Up? It goes like this. Love lift me up where we belong. Where the eagles fly on mountain high. Where we belong. Everybody. Yeah, the truth is that God's love is meant to take us up to where we belong. You see, his rules and his standard of living is really what gives us an earthly perspective. It gives us a heightened perspective of what this Christian life is supposed to look like. So here's another issue. Um, I don't know if you've noticed, um, but Jesus, um, he's invisible. I mean, I don't know if anyone else has a problem with this. I mean, because we, we, can't, really, um, we can't really see him. You see, the disciples got to follow him. I feel it was easier for them because they actually got to see where Jesus was going and what he was doing. Um, but for us, it's like, um, somebody show me where he is. If you know his address, uh, let me know so I can come over. But, but I, I think this is also interesting because what Jesus does is that he likens himself to a shepherd and he calls us sheep. You guys are sheep. That's not the coolest animal in the world. I want to be a lion, you know, something dangerous, you know. But he, but he says that we're he says that we're sheep. You know, this is pretty cool. This is what I learned about sheep. You see, sheep have terrible eyesight, but they have incredible, vision, incredible hearing. The cool thing is, is that God has not called us to walk by sight. In fact, God has called us to walk by faith. And the Bible says that faith comes by hearing and hearing of the word of God. 
So if you're ever confused as to how your life is supposed to look like, the truth is that we just got to pick up the word of God. God instructs us on how to live this life. And interesting, interestingly enough, we are found in a book of Matthew. You know, Matthew is the longest gospel. You know, there's Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, four gospels. And Matthew is, it's the longest one. Matthew is long because it's super wordy. You see, Matthew was committed to writing down the words of Jesus because he knew that if we would follow his word, we would live a life that we were called to live. So if there's two things that we can already pick up before we actually go into the, you know, to the scripture, that was my intro. Um, this is what, <laughs> this is, um, number one, did you, somebody just snorted. Girl, you need Jesus. Okay. All right, so number one, one thing that we can do is understand that this is that God has called us to call, God has called us to live a life of grace, right? A Christian life is marked by grace. What does this mean? That there's nothing that we can do for him. In fact, we are saved because of what he did for us. We love him. Why? Because he first loved us. Secondly, a life of a believer is marked by a life of obedience, so now Jesus, he's stepping on the scene, and this is like the beginning of his ministry, right? So he gets baptized. After he gets baptized, he, he goes to the desert, and he does miracles, and then he preaches this thing called the Sermon on the Mount, which is what we're reading, and this is where we find ourselves. And, and I love how this passage starts. This is what he says. He says, well, the Bible says this. Now, when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside, and he sat down. The first thing that I'd like to point out is this, is that we have a God who's passionate about the crowds. You see, all through scripture, what we see is that the Bible says that Jesus sees the crowd, and then he has compassion on them. You know, theologians say that one of the reasons they went up onto a mountainside is because Jesus was getting ready to do one thing, to show them a higher way to live. And also, he went up on a mountainside because there was more space on a mountain for people to sit and listen to him teach. You see, Jesus is obsessed with reaching everyone. This isn't an exclusive faith. It's inclusive. We have a God that says in John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he sent his son for who? For the world. He sent his son for people that will never acknowledge him. He's passionate about reaching the world. That's why I don't understand some believers that you know, they say, ah, you know, Mike, I believe in quality and not quantity and numbers. And, you know, you can't pastor a church that has like over 500 people and it's just weird. Uh, who told you that? I mean, where is this theology coming from? I love what Pastor Judah Smith does. He, he says, God wrote a whole book called Numbers. Get over yourself. God is obsessed with reaching people. It's what he does. But let's not be mistaken. The reason Jesus is passionate about the crowd is because he's passionate about you. You see, when Jesus went looking for the crowd, he was looking, he was looking, he was looking, he was looking. He was like, ah, I found her. Uh -uh. He, 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 he's looking, he goes to the crowd and he's, and he's looking for those who would respond. You see, the Bible describes a God that's transcendent. What transcendent means is a God who's big, a God who flung the stars into the sky, a God who created the galaxies. A God, God who's all-powerful and all-knowing. But the Bible also describes a God who's imminent. A God who's close. 
a God who knows you by name, a God who designed you in the womb of your mom. The Bible says that our God, he knows the amount of hair that's on your head. Who has that much time? The Bible also says that as many are the grains of sand on the seashore, so are my thoughts towards you. The Bible also says that he watches you as you sleep. He, that he, he's obsessed with the crowd because he's obsessed for you. And tonight I feel like I just got to, tonight it's the morning. I, I feel like I just got to ask you, what crowd are you in? What crowd do you find yourself in? Because in this passage, there's two crowds, right? There were the disciples and then there were everyone else. What crowd do you find yourself in? You see, I think you just got to jump into the Jesus crowd. I love the Jesus crowd because the Jesus crowd, it's all about the cross. It's all about what he did because I couldn't do it for myself. You see, the crowd says, rely on yourself. But the cross says, rely on me. The crowd says, be happy. But the cross says, be holy. The crowd says, you got to earn your worth. But the cross says, I am your worth. The crowd says, you got to carry your burdens. But the cross said, just nail every burden to me. We have a God who's passionate about you. What crowd do you find yourself in? I love this because Jesus is setting up the crowd for what he's about to say next. He's about to introduce a whole new way of living. A whole new way of doing things. And we call these the Beatitudes, just a Latin word for happiness. Eight ways to be happy. That's my favorite kind of preacher. And this is what he says. These are eight ways to be happy. You know, the Beatitudes were also known as a celebration of your faith. Because it's a list of all the things that you're blessed for. And I think this is incredible. Because in the midst of the tragedy of the disciples, they got to sit in the feet of Jesus and be reminded daily that they are blessed. Do you understand that we have the same opportunity? That every time we step into a church atmosphere, God is reminding us that we are blessed. He is reminding us that we are the head and not the tail. That we are above and not below. Jesus said that in this world you will have hard times. But take heart because I have overcome. So we get to sit here and remember, whoa, I'm blessed. I have a God who loves me and who's passionate about me. And no doubt, this is how the disciples felt. They felt blessed. Because they were chilling with Jesus. They were hanging out with Jesus. And what they were saying, what some of the theologians were saying is that the disciples, that they, they actually felt more important than they should have. Their, their status was rising to another level because they were hanging with Jesus. They were, they were hanging with the guy that everyone was wanting to see, that everyone was making lines to see. They were hanging with the one that everybody wanted. People were even saying that the disciples, some of them were probably even getting paid because of their status, that they just felt like so good. But then just, I mean, I know exactly what this feels like because I have a friend, his name is Ricky. Um, we call him Coach uh, because really everything he says kind of goes. He like owns Miami. And I remember one time, it was a couple weeks ago, we went to the VU conference. And during the intermission, Ricky, Coach, the guy that we go to, hey, Coach, where are we going to eat? He, he goes, Mike, hey, man, I'm leaving you in charge. <laughs> My chest lifted up. And I felt so good. And I was telling all my friends, hey, coach put me in charge. Coach told me to pick where we're going. Hey, we're going to the yard house. That's where we're going. They got good burgers. And he said, hey, get us a table. I said, okay. So I get to the hostess and I say, hey, um, 
um, how can I get here uh, quick? I got a, a group of people here. Uh, she goes, um, well, let me see. Um, she goes, you're probably looking about an hour and a half wait. And I said, dear Lord, I got to text coach. So I texted coach. I was like, hey, uh, coach, um, you know, we're going to be here for about an hour and a half. He goes, don't worry about it, champ. That's a champ. He comes and he shows up and he talks to the hostess. And then the hostess turns around and she goes, hey, uh, uh, you guys will be sitting down in 15 minutes. I was like, what? I was like, this isn't right. So I knew what this felt like. I have this status when I roll with coach. The disciples, they had this status. They felt good. But then this is what Jesus said. He goes, blessed. And they're like thinking, oh, I like this. He's going to say blessed. Oh, I like where he's going with this. He says, blessed are the poor in spirit. What? I don't think that's what the disciples were excited to hear. Blessed are the ones who don't think much of themselves, but think much of me. Blessed are the poor in spirit. I can imagine the conviction that came over them as their self-righteousness was brought down to the ground. You know, I remember I was talking to this, this professor once, and he was my boss at one time, and now he's actually the dean of the students out of college. And I was talking to him, and I was like, man, you know, you know, Jesus loves you, and I believe that he has a plan for your life. And this is what he said. Um, oh, the band can start coming up now. Weird transition. Um, this is what he said. Um, he said, Mike, you know, I don't think that, um, you know, I don't think I can follow Jesus because, because you know, Christianity is a crutch. It's, it's like, it's something that's for people who are weak. I'm a self-made man, you know. I'm, it's, it's a crutch. It's for those who are crippled. And I said, you know what? You're right. In fact, it's bigger than that. Jesus is more than a crutch. He's a hospital for the broken. He's a hospital for those who are sick. He's so much bigger than a crutch. And then I asked him, I was like, when has a crutch ever been a bad thing? A couple months ago, I sprained my ankle. My ankle got like super fat and swollen. And I saw the doctor, he said, Mike, you know, you gotta be on crutches. It would have been stupid for me to say, I don't want that crutch. I don't, I don't need that, I don't want that. I would have kept walking and my ankle would have kept getting worse. But because of the crutch, my ankle rehabilitated to where it needed to go. You see, we need Jesus because without him, our life would be in destruction. I love what Josh said earlier. He said, Jesus minus everything equals everything. Jesus is, he's all we need. You know, we don't claim spiritual perfection. We claim spiritual progress. We are saved by what he did and not what we can do. Christian disciplines, they're incredibly important. Reading your Bible, worshiping, oh, those things are important. But Jesus is not necessarily impressed by the check marks on your spiritual duty list. It's not like Jesus is in heaven and he's like, oh, Susan, never in my life have I seen a woman pray the way you do. Never in my life have I seen someone read the Bible the way you do. Jesus is not impressed by things like this. He's impressed by someone who's passionate about him. He's impressed by someone who realizes that they need him. You see, your godly humility will always take you farther than your godly ability. Your godly character will take you further than any ability you may have. It, it, it reminds me of Moses. Josh spoke about Moses in the previous service. Moses, he, God comes to Moses and he said, hey, I've chosen you to deliver my people. And then Moses, uh, but, but, but I, I stutter. And then 
God says what? He goes, wasn't it I who created the mouth? Isn't that not me who's sending you? He didn't look at him and say, oh, you slugger, there's potential in you. Oh, you're so good, you're amazing. No, he said, I'm the one who's sending you. And if I'm sending you, you can do it. Poor in spirit is, it's not only for those who are believers. It's not only for those who realize that they need to be humble in order to encounter God. But the poor in spirit is also for those who want nothing to do with God. You know what I love about Jesus is that not only does he talk the talk, but he walks the walk. At the end of this sermon, at the end of him saying this crazy thing of what our life is supposed to look like, Jesus performs his very first miracle after the sermon. He's performed miracles before, but this is his very first one after this. And what happens is that the crowds are following Jesus like they always do. So Jesus just finished preaching this amazing message, but now he's being approached by a man who's a leopard. Not an animal, like leprosy. Like leprosy in these days was an uncurable disease. It was probably the worst thing that could ever happen to you. In fact, people who had leprosy, they were excommunicated from their society. In fact, the pastors and the priests and the religious leaders would not even think about approaching a leper. Because if they would approach a leper, the society will label them as unclean. And I love Jesus because what we just read in Matthew chapter 7, after he finished preaching his sermon, the Bible says that the crowds listened to what he was saying and they were amazed. And the reason that they were amazed is because the Bible says that he taught with authority, not like their religious leaders. Why? Because a religious leader would never touch someone who had leprosy. But Jesus doesn't only walk the walk, but he talks the talk. He approaches this, this guy with leprosy and he touches him. And as soon as he touches him, he's healed completely. I love this because God expresses his love through body language. The, you know, communication is 80% of your body language. And we serve a God who has communicated through body language. How? Well, 2016 years ago, our God made himself flesh. He bankrupted heaven. And he made himself a man. And he hung himself on a tree. He expressed his love in body language. He expressed his love in a way that no one else would. He died the death that we deserve so that you can live the life that you deserve. This is the gospel. A God who goes contrary to all social cues. A God who says, I will go anywhere in order to reach you. This is the God that we serve, a God who has expressed his love through body language. I'm going to ask you to bow your head and close your eyes as we end. You know, maybe here, this is probably your first time here, and you're probably a little confused as to what's happening. There's like smoke machines, and there were people jumping and dancing and going crazy. But the reason we were going crazy this morning is because we believe in a God who's crazier about us and his name is Jesus. And you're not here by coincidence. You're not here because your friend brought you here. You're not here because someone invited you here. In fact, the reason that you're here is because God brought you here to remind you that he loves you and he has a plan and a purpose for your life. So what I'm gonna do is that I'm gonna give you an opportunity to make Jesus the Lord and Savior of your life. 
I'm going to count to three. And when I count to three, if that's you, if you're here for the first time, or maybe you've been coming first, second, third time, and you want to recommit your life to the Lord, this is going to be your opportunity. The Bible says that today is the day of salvation. We don't know what's going to happen for us once we leave these doors. It's not a scare tactic. It's reality. Today is the day of salvation. So I'm going to count to three. And if you want to make a decision to follow Jesus with every head bowed and every eye closed, this will be your moment. Number one, Jesus loves you. Number two, he has a plan and purpose for your life. Number three, he died for you. Come on, in Jesus' name, if that's you, can you just lift up your hand? If you want to make a decision to follow Jesus this morning, God bless you. Amen. And God bless you. And God bless you. I'm going to say a prayer. And this prayer, it's a repeat after me prayer. It's more about your heart than it is about the actual words. And the Bible says that once we declare that Jesus is Lord, once we declare that he died for us and he, on the third day he rose again, that we shall be saved. So if that's you, if you're going to make this decision to recommit your life to Jesus, I'm just going to ask for you to repeat this prayer. Say, Lord, I ask that you would forgive me for my sin. God, I believe that you died for me and that three days later you rose again. Jesus, I put my faith in you. I put my hope in you and my trust in you. Lord, I want to follow you all the days of my life. In Jesus' name, all of God's people said, Amen. Come on, can we make some noise for those people?